Open your Bibles with me, the word of the living and true God, to Romans the ninth chapter. Romans chapter 9. It's been a few weeks since we were here, and we worked our way through the 24th verse. And we'll take up at the 25th verse. But before we do so, let me remind you very quickly where we've been. Romans has 16 chapters in it, and the first and great division is between the 11th and 12th chapters. Romans 11 ends with an amen. And a therefore takes up in the 12th chapter that based on the mercies described in the first 11, we should live holy lives acceptable unto God. They are described in chapters 12 through 16. So that's the great division between the doctrinal part of the epistle and the practical portion. If we look at the first 12, the first 11 chapters, excuse me, the doctrinal portion, the first 11, then there's five after that that are practical in nature. We see a division after the eighth chapter because chapters 9, 10, and 11 deal with the issue of Israel and the gospel and how and why so few of them believed when the Gentiles were receiving it. And so there's a great deal, and it's exclusively Jewish, in chapters 9 through 11. And there are lessons in it for us, although maybe not as direct and applicable as we've had in chapters 1 through 8. So we come to this section of the Bible called Romans 9 through 11, where the apostle has to deal with the people of God of the Old Testament, and he gives an explanation as to why so few of them believe the gospel. And that's what we've been working toward. Election and predestination were introduced to us in the 8th chapter. Because Romans chapter 8 describes the purpose of God in calling certain ones that love Him. And then in verses 29 and 30, it refers to them having been foreknown and predestinated to their justification and eventual glorification. Verse 33 of that 8th chapter describes them as the elect of God. Now in Romans chapter 9 where the apostle takes up a staggering thought and very difficult for Jews to hear or receive. And that is that there was an election within the nation of Israel that had cut off most of them, and only some of them were the true elect of God and truly God's children. That was hard for a Jew to believe. The Israelites were known throughout for their nationalistic confidence that because they had a birth certificate tracing back to Abraham, and because they worshipped in the temple of Jehovah, that they were obviously and always and unconditionally Jehovah's people. The Lord Jesus had to deal with this. John the Baptist had to deal with this. Don't tell me that Abraham's your father, John the Baptist said, before you can get past the third chapter of Matthew. When the Pharisees came out to his baptism, don't tell me Abraham's your father. God's able to raise up children of Abraham from the stones lying here. That doesn't mean anything. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? God's going to gather his chaff into his barn, and he's going to, he's, God is going to gather the wheat into his barn and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That Jesus would have to deal with the same thing in John chapter 8 is an example. If Abraham were your father, He would do the works of Abraham. They said, we're not born of fornication. He said, you are the children of the devil. John 8, 44. And the passage around it. The Apostle Paul had to spend much of the epistles of the New Testament combating Jewish legalism, which was the belief that it was circumcision and keeping the law of Moses in an imperfect way that got one to heaven, not the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now we're going to get the Apostle Paul telling Jews, and they were in the audience at the church at Rome, and they were in the audiences of the other churches of the New Testament, which would be reading this epistle after it was shared from that church. He is going to tell them that only some of them are the elect children of God. He does it this way. Remember with me, verses 1 through 5 are the gentle introduction in which he describes all the natural blessings that they had as Israelites and his great affection for every one of them. 
as Israelites. And he does that down through the fifth verse and he ends with amen because it is one incredible salutation and introduction and preface to this section of the epistle to the Romans. I want you to notice that amen. We have entered into a new section of Romans. It ended at 839. And it is taking up a new subject and it is specifically addressing Jews and Israelites the same, being the same people. And we preach that through a couple of messages showing Paul's wisdom and Paul's carefulness in warming his audience to the message that he was about to drop on them, and he dropped it in the sixth verse. Because in the sixth verse is the declaration of reprobation, that is rejection, and election, that is choosing, of different parts of Israel. Look at that sixth verse. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. They knew that there were promises in God's word about the seed of Abraham. And Paul's telling them, it's not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. God's promises are still true. But this is what I want to tell you. And this was the bomb. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. The nation of Israel doesn't mean that they're the children of God. It is a small subset of that nation that are the elect children of God. It's only a small part of the nation that's the elect children of God that realize the true fulfillment of the promises made in the word of God toward Abraham and his seed. The declaration and statement of election and reprobation is in 9.6. Reprobation is stated there in that it declares that some of the nation is not elect. Election is stated there in that the other part of the nation is elect. It is the true Israel, while others are Israelites only in their fleshly pedigree. So the statement is made in verse 6. Then the apostle illustrates it in verses 7 through 13. Do you remember this with me? He went after Abraham and Sarah, because Abraham had how many sons? Eight But only one was a child of promise. Only one was a child of God. And the children of God is the issue at stake here because the 8th verse tells us that. That is, this is what I'm talking about, Paul tells us, they which are the children of the flesh, there's natural Israelites that are circumcised the 8th day after birth, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And if you want to see it illustrated, let's go all the way back to our father Abraham. You think being connected to Abraham by 100 generations helps you toward eternal life? Well, let's go all the way back to where it's the first children of Abraham. And while there were eight of them, only one was a child of God. Only one was a child of promise. Only one meant anything to the God of heaven. And that was Isaac. And so we have that explanation. And then verse 10, and not only this... You say, well, that involved three women, Sarah, Hagar, and Keturah. Well, then let's deal with a man and his wife, and she has twins in her womb. And so we have Isaac and Jacob. Jacob and Esau, the sons of Isaac in Rebekah's womb, in verses 10 through 13. And the Bible wants us to know that God had made a difference between those two twins before they had done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. And if it's election on the part of Jacob, then it's reprobation on the part of Esau. I don't want you confused by the word reprobation. It's just a word meaning the opposite of election. Reprobation simply and only means rejection. But it's a theological term, and it's in the Bible. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 for one of its places. And it's in the Old Testament describing Israel under various situations like we had read to us. And so in the womb, we have this parenthesis in verse 11 that describes God making a choice between two twins that come from the same father and the same mother. One being his and one not being his. One he loved and one he hated. And it's laid out for us down through the 13th verse. Well, so Paul has stated the doctrine... He's introduced how much he loves Israel in verses 1 through 5. He states the doctrine in verse 6. 
He illustrates it by the patriarch's own families in verses 7 through 13. And then he defends it with theology in verses 14 through 24. Because he starts out this way in verse 14. It's, it's like an, it's a defense. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. And he goes on to explain theologically, God has established that he is the sovereign of the universe and he shows his mercy and he shows his compassion to whom he will. So then it is not of him that willeth. There is no human effort involved in obtaining God's mercy. It is God's choice to bestow it. Verses 15 and 16 is what I've just referred to you. And it's God's choice as well to harden certain men like he did Pharaoh in verse 17. So we may conclude theologically in verse 18, Therefore, God has mercy on whom he will, and God hardens whom he will. Verse 19, further objections come up. How can he then hold us responsible or accountable for our actions since it's his will that's being executed in our lives? And so theologically, the answer is, Nay, but, O man, O man, are you human? Forgive me for this moment, but are you the animal that walks upright on its hind legs? And you're addressing the potter? Nay, but, O man, who art thou to reply against God? You don't have the right to even question what I'm talking about. Notice, this is a theological defense of one verse. Election within Israel. It's illustrated. I want to make this chapter so plain to you. It's like falling off a log. And if the log is out in a stream, it's easy to fall off a log. It wants to spin and it's wet and slippery. And that's what I want to do for you, that you understand Romans 9 and just absorb it all in and wrap your arms around it. It's a theological defense that election is God's right because God is God. He is the potter and we are the clay. He goes on to say in verse 21, and then he has that climactic sentence that runs from verse 22 all the way to the end of verse 24, where he describes reprobation in verse 22 and why, and election and why in verse 23, and then tacks on whom it included. Jews and Gentiles, including Paul and the audience at Rome. Do you remember all that? Verse 22 is reprobation. What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? That whole verse is reprobation. And why does He do it? That He might show His wrath and His power. And what if He does it? What are you going to say about it, O man? Oh, there's verse 23. And, oh, that's a conjunction we want to love. And that he might make known the riches of his glory. Riches, brethren, and glory, and riches of glory, and glorious riches forever and ever. For us, by the choice of God, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. God decreed and put into, put into operation all the operations of grace necessary to get every one of his children all the way to heaven where they'll enjoy the riches of glory forever. And those that God did that for were even us, Paul, those, the saints at Rome, some Jews and some Gentiles, not all the Jews, And not all the Gentiles, because the 24th verse says, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, meaning God's election is only of part of the Jews, proving that he reprobated the rest. And God's election is only part of the Gentiles, proving that he reprobated the rest. Are you with me? A five verse introduction, the statement of the doctrine which he will continue to elaborate on all the way to the 36th verse of the 11th chapter. They are not all Israel, which are of Israel. He's going to say in chapter 11, even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And what's he talking about? Israel in the 11th chapter. This is very important. These three chapters are about Israel. The only time you get the word Gentiles brought in, it's an ancillary, subordinate, secondary, tacked.
tacked-on piece of information for us. It's about Israel. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for my kinsmen. That sounds like chapter 9, verse 1. 10, 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. Oh, that's for Israel too? How about 11, 1? 11, 1 says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite. You say, why are you point pounding this point? You'll see in a moment, in a short moment. Lord, help me. I do not want to tire you, and we will end on a timely basis. I've made new commitments while I was away. Whether they hold up or not, we'll see. We will end on a timely basis, and brethren, I don't want to bore you or tire you in this chapter. We're going to cover five verses in the next few minutes. But a lot of effort went into these verses because I have to take a position on them different from every commentator I can find except a few that I was able to dig up by some strenuous Googling and then only able to find them in the footnotes of others because they're a minority. I hope that I can make it plain to you. I hope it's plain so far that through verse 24 you feel like you could get up and preach it right now. An introduction, a declaration, an illustration in the patriarch's families, and then a theological defense that God is God and He can and does do exactly what was implied in the illustration of Abraham and Isaac's families and what was stated in Paul's doctrinal declaration in the sixth verse. I hope you're with me. Okay, so here we go. Verses 25 through 29 are the next section of the ninth chapter, and they are proving the doctrine of election from Scripture. He has proved the doctrine of election by illustration in Abraham and Isaac's families. Verses 7 through 13. He has proven the doctrine of election from theological considerations some of which are drawn from the Bible, in verses 14 through 24. Now he's just going to turn the Old Testament Scriptures on those Jews and his audience and say, listen, Hosea and Isaiah taught the very thing I'm trying to teach to you right now, so why should you be offended or not believe it? This, is, this was the case then, and this is the case now. It's the same. They are not all Israel which are of Israel. I declared it. Hosea declared it, and Isaiah declared it. You should already know it, and you shouldn't be faulting me for it, because I'm just declaring a Bible doctrine. So here we go, and I read to you verses 25 through 29, which are the next section of the ninth chapter. They are the scriptural proof of election and reprobation, both, by showing that God reprobates or rejects Israel, some of Israel, large portions of Israel at times, and elects, chooses portions of Israel at times. And he can reject for a while, and then elect them back. And overall, there's only a remnant that he's truly going to save. Overall, there's only a seed he's going to save. Overall, as Isaiah chapter 1 will interpret seed for us, it is a very small remnant which ought to give us comfort this morning. Romans 9.25 I want to read verse 22 just so that we can get the flow because we want the flow of the Holy Spirit's words to us. Reprobation and election will be summarized in this first sentence I read and then we'll take up the scriptural proof. Verse 22, what if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had afore prepared unto glory? Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. 
as he saith also in O.C. I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, Except the Lord of Sebaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodomah, and been made like unto Gomorrah. Right, amen. amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. This is the scriptural explanation by appealing to the Jewish scriptures, which they reverenced in showing from two quotations from Hosea, two quotations from Isaiah, four quotations altogether in five verses, four passages, that this doctrine was preached by your prophets. And it's proven from your own scriptures. First of all, verse 25, as he saith also in O.C. This is Hosea. Remember, Joshua comes in the New Testament and becomes Jesus. Elijah comes in the New Testament and he becomes Elias. Because when you take a Hebrew word and translate it into Greek and then it comes into English transliterated, usually you end up with variations. And you ought to read commentaries fussing and complaining about how the Bible ought to change I love those words because that gives skeptics reasons to dislike our Bible because I want skeptics to hate the Bible. The Bible's not for skeptics. The Bible's for saints. But that's a very minor point. This is Hosea. And it's Hosea chapter 2 and verse 23, which our brother Eric read to us moments ago in verse 25 of Romans 9. And in verse 26, it's Hosea 1.10 that our brother Zach read to us from the first chapter of Hosea. As he saith also in O.C. He saith, that is God speaking. God has been speaking, and so we have an also. And oh, Lord, I thank you for the also's, because they help me present what I've just presented to you already. Because also means another case of what's already been described happening in a similar or identical way. God has already been declaring that He as God elects and and rejects. He said it in verse 13, Jacob have I loved. That isn't Isaac or Rebekah speaking or Abraham or Sarah. That's God Himself. That's from Malachi chapter 1 and verse 5. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Or verse 15, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then again in verse 17, God in the first person, Pharaoh, I have raised you up for this purpose that I might Show my power in thee. And so when we come to the 25th verse, as he saith also in O.C., we have in Hosea quotations that are very similar or identical to what's already been said in verses 13, 15, and 17 by the same party. Not Hosea, God. But God is recorded in Hosea. As he saith also in O.C. So there, that also there is very precious. It is an adverb telling us that God is saying the same thing that he has been saying. It's just being said in Hosea this time as the apostle is going to string together four quotations to prove the doctrine of election. Are you with me on that? Yeah. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. These words, I will call them my people, which were not my people. Now the easy thing to do is to say, well, that's got to be the Gentiles. Because us Gentiles were not God's people, and then God made the Gentiles His people. That's what every commentator says. Because they all follow each other. 
Oh, brethren, you don't understand that to step out of the parade and to get up on the sidewalk, someone's going to take an umbrella and poke you in the eye. You have got to stay on the street with the rest of the parade. They don't dare differ from each other. And so they all follow each other, copy each other, and quote each other to try to prove this is the Gentiles. Now let's see if I can prove otherwise. First, first, I shouldn't have to say very much because I've already proven it by one direction, and that is the overall thrust of these three chapters is not about Gentiles. It's about Jews. It's about Israel. Second of all, When we go back to Hosea 1 and 2, and I'm not going to take much time in Hosea 1 and 2 because you were supposed to read them last night in your preparatory work for this day's sermon, and we've already had them read to us by our two brethren earlier this morning. In those places, it specifically says that God would say to Israel, you are not my people. Let's just keep going here. See, some men study the Bible by the sound of words. And when I read verse 25, I will call them my people which were not my people. Oh, that's got to be Gentiles because there was a time when we weren't God's people. And that is true. And Ephesians chapter 2 does teach that we were at that time as Gentiles outside the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise But I don't care what's in Ephesians chapter 2 when I'm in Romans chapter 9 because we don't compare passages by the sound of their words. We have to compare them by the sense of the words. Because we have exactly these words applied to Israel which keeps us consistent with the theme of this chapter in Hosea. Because it's in Hosea that God reprobated Israel. And isn't that the point that we're trying to prove all the way from the 6th verse? I will make an end of Israel. That is what our brother Zach read to us from Hosea 1. And the names of those children were, I'm through with Israel. No more mercy. They're not my people. But in that same first chapter... In the place that it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, it's going to be said to them, You are my people. You are the children of the living God. It's Israel. You say, well, the last word in verse 24 is Gentiles. Do you want to take the whole flow of Paul's argument, which is about Israel, that he took five verses just to open up the door to set up the ninth chapter and then all of his arguments about Abraham and Isaac and not Ishmael and then Isaac's twins Jacob and Esau and then Pharaoh and then that long sentence of verses 22 through 24 where we have reprobation in a full verse and election in a full verse and you want to discard all that for the word Gentiles and that word Gentiles there is powerful enough to you to override the theme of the chapter and to deny deny Hosea 1? Sorry, I won't do it. Because I have exactly what this passage is talking about, and God told me to go back to O.C. and find out what He said there. And what He said there is He reprobated the nation for their idolatry and debauchery. And then generations later, He elected them back. Which is exactly what Paul is trying to prove about Israel. They are not all Israel which are of Israel. But I can also prove it by another also. Because when I look down to verse 27, what do you find? Isaiah also crieth concerning... I have many faults. But one fault I don't have. I love every word of God. And I trust every word of our King James Bible. And I don't care what somebody thinks they can draw out of the Hebrew in Hosea. And I don't care what anyone thinks they can draw out of the Greek in Romans 9. Because they can't. It's an assumption they make about verses 25 and 26. That they're about the Gentiles instead of about Israel. But I love those those two also's I've got. The also in verse 25 tells me that God is speaking and saying the same thing that he was saying above, and it was about Israel. And then verse 27 is pretty sweet, isn't it? Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. Now what's the also there for? 
Isaiah is doing something very similar or identical to what Hosea did. Well, now it wasn't even Hosea talking. It was God. So the emphasis can't be on two men that are similar, both being prophets, because one was God speaking and the other is Isaiah speaking. So what is similar? They're both dealing with Israel. Now, can I give you another proof? And I, I do not want to get tedious. Don't get, don't, don't get tired. I want to prove it to you another way. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 2 with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter makes use of Hosea chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 2. When you see the outline and you wonder why are there 60 pages on Romans 9, single space, then, well, there's issues like this that I only tithe to you. But I thank the God of heaven. I trust his King James Bible. I'm thankful that I was forced to that 30 years ago. And I've tried to live consistently by it. I trust it's every word. It hasn't failed me. Do you know the eight examples that we have of Jesus and Paul arguing from single words is up to 16. And a young man in Singapore has been assigned the duty of being the keeper of the treasury. And I hope he's listening right now because I appreciate his work. He has a nice spreadsheet made of those 16 examples where they argue from individual words. 1 Peter 2. I need to save time, so let's go to verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation. That is... Election, right there. Because you're chosen. Ye are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. And holy nation. Now he's describing something nationalistic about these people. A peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now look at, follow with me. Which in time past were not a people. But are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Do those expressions sound familiar to you? Are those the expressions from Hosea? Are they the expressions from Romans 9? Peter's using the same passage. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. So who's he addressing? Jews. What does he call them in verse 1 of chapter 1? The diaspora, the strangers, the scattered Jews from the captivities of Israel. Look at 1.1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Who are they? Israelites. How'd they get there? Scattered by the Assyrians and scattered by the Babylonians. They're Israelites. When I go to Galatians chapter 2, do we find a confab, and I mean a meeting, between Paul and James and John and Peter in Galatians 2? Do they make an agreement that Paul is going to go to the Gentiles and Peter is going to go to the Israelites or the Jews? Yes, we find that there. James, who was also one of the pillars assigned to the Jews, opens up his epistle by saying, to the Twelve tribes scattered abroad. Here the strangers are scattered. Why are they strangers? Because they're not Gentiles. They don't really belong in those lands. They're not Greeks and they're not Turks. They're Jews that were scattered there by the Assyrians. Well, let's just leave that and come back to Romans 9. Do you follow that Peter shows us? This is why we compare Scripture with Scripture. This is why we trust every word of the of God. This is why we want to get a contextual flow in Romans 9. And once we do those things, which are specified in the Bible for us to do them, it falls into place like dominoes and slip off the log into the water. The water of God's Word. The water of God's truth by following His rules. Is it scary sometimes? A wee bit. 
Do I tell the Lord? Do I beg the Lord? Oh, yes. And I want you to beg him for me. But let's go to Romans 9. The point to be proved in this chapter and the next and the next is they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And so we have scriptural proofs of it. Verse 25 of Romans 9. As he saith also in O.C., God speaking, I will call them my people which were not my people and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. All you have to do is read Hosea 1 and 2 and remember the history of Israel. The Assyrians came and took the ten tribes captive. Did Hosea chapter 1 tell us that when Israel, meaning the ten tribes, ended, that God would continue to have mercy on Judah? Remember reading that? That's because... What happened to the Assyrians when they surrounded Jerusalem? 185,000 got killed in one night, and it wasn't by horse, or by horseman, or by sword, or by bow, was it? It was by the angel of the Lord. The Bible is not that difficult if we'll take the time, and thank you for giving me the time to do it. I want Hosea 1 just to fall into place for you. You are not my people. And you think my pulpit manner's bad? What if I come in next week and I've got some fishnet hose, tight red sweater, black leather, micro skirt, high heeled woman sitting in the front row beside me? She's a strumpet. She's a prostitute. She's a slut from the worst part of our cities. What if I were to come in with a woman like that and a few weeks from now she shows up pregnant and it's not mine? And I name him Jezreel. And then as soon as she gets him weaned, there's a little bit about birth control, ladies. Anyway, as soon as she gets him weaned, she has a daughter. When she gets the daughter weaned, she has another son. You say, that's terrible pulpit manner. Joel Osteen wouldn't approve. That's why I watch Joel Osteen. Because I know he wouldn't approve. Because he doesn't look a thing like a prophet or a preacher of God. But that's what God's ministers did. That wasn't a dream. That wasn't a vision. That wasn't just written down. Hosea did those things. And by the time he got to chapter 3, he went and got himself a second wife. She wasn't just a prostitute. She was an adulteress who was still loved by a man. Because God was illustrating to Israel how horrible their idolatry was. And he compares it to... Natural adultery. Marital adultery. So, 25 and 26. Verse 25 is a quotation from Hosea 2.23. And then verse 26 is a quotation from Hosea 1.10. You say, Paul put the verses backwards. Because that was his need at that particular time to put the emphasis the right way. Who cares? I love it that way. It gives us explanation. If you go back and look at Hosea 2.23, you're going to see a difference in words from what Paul gives us here. But putting the two together, we understand both passages better. Praise the Lord. I compare Scripture with Scripture, which is what we ought to do. I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. Hosea, by his three children, told Israel, you are not God's people. But Hosea in prophecy told them, you are God's people because God is going to call you back to him. Eric read to us about a bill of divorcement, that God divorced them, but then he allured them back. And when he allured them back, he promised them that he would be faithful and kind. And he would would restore to them everything that they had, that they ever thought was wonderful. They were his people. And so in the same place, out of Jerusalem went the word of the Lord. What was the word of the Lord? Coming from the prophets of God and out of Samaria, you are not my people. What was the word of the Lord that went out of that place several hundred years later? You are my people. Do you know what James got to declare to the 12 tribes scattered abroad? Do you know what Peter got to declare to the strangers scattered throughout modern Turkey? You are the children of the living God. Amen. Isn't that exactly what he said in 1 Peter chapter 2? You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. Look at 
in the same place. The, the first message came from the prophets, you're not my people. And God truly rejected Israel and scattered them by the Assyrians. But then later, he drew them back. And if you ever wonder about the ten tribes versus the two, if those of the ten were found, remember, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. And because it says in Hosea chapter 1, verses, verses 10 and 11, it describes them as being the sandwiches by the seashore, how many Jews were converted in the day of Pentecost? 3,000. How many the next day? 5,000. Then it stops using addition and it says the church was multiplied. Now when you take eight and start multiplying it, you're not surprised, even though that church was scattered abroad because of persecution, that when Paul arrived there in Acts chapters 20 and 21, James pulled him aside and said, Brother, do you see how many... Tens of thousands of Jews there are that believe. Okay. Thank you, Paul. You're proving this fantastic point and you're showing from the scriptures God's done this before and the Jews should be willing to hear it, receive it. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. They didn't have to move. It wasn't a change in them. It was a change in God. And from the same place that he had sent one message, he sent the other message. And I hope you got that from Hosea 1 and 2. I know if you would go home and spend a few minutes on the Lord's day to read the Lord's word and to read Hosea 1 and 2 again, you'll understand it better than you did. And if there's any verses in there that you have trouble with, just call me. I don't want to take the time right now. I want to go after verse 27. Isaiah. That's one of those strange New Testament words for Isaiah. Because when you've got three languages involved, Hebrew, Greek, and English, it's, it's Isaiah. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. When you've got the word though like that, though the nation is going to be this big, a remnant's going to be saved. The emphasis is on the fact that the part that is saved is much smaller than the whole part. And that's the point Paul's been making since verse 6. But Isaiah preached the same thing. And this is from Isaiah chapters 10, verses 22 and 23. If you go there, the words are a little bit different than they are here. But if you read both places, you'll be able to understand both better. Isn't that amazing? No wonder it says, and I'm quoting, I know what I'm doing. It's 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 13, comparing spiritual things with spiritual is how we learn the Word of God and how we learn the deep things of God that are revealed to us by spiritual words. I also want you to just note here, and this is a side point, is the apostolic way of preaching. You know, there are people that come and visit us sometimes, and when we flip our Bible, two times too many, that's three times, when we flip our Bible two times too many, they go out and say, I just get all confused with somebody flipping the Bible so much. Oh, they would not want to hear Paul preach. Do you want to take the time right now to go through Romans chapter 9 and figure out how many quotations he used in this chapter? We've got four in these five verses. You've got some following and you've got a whole lot in front of it. It's Paul's method. It's how we use the Bible. Because we compare a spiritual concept with a spiritual concept to enlighten us on both of them by putting them together in such a way that they fit the overall theme of Scripture because there is no private interpretation of Scripture. But that's a side point. Forget it for, for now. We want to look at election and reprobation. Verses 25 and 26, it was clear. In the days of Hosea, three children were named from a whore in order to prove to Israel that they were whores and God was going to judge them as whores and throw them out of his sight and he did it. But then he allured them back and he made them his people again. And he committed himself to them in faithfulness and they came together with Judah and found themselves one leader. Do you need to work hard on who that is? That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The great shepherd of the sheep. David as he's called in several places in the Old Testament prophets. The son of David being intended. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. The same people are under consideration because we're proving they are not all Israel which are of Israel. 
So Paul's going to raise Isaiah the prophet to prove election within the nation. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Meaning, only a small part would be elect. Verse 28, For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. This work is not the work of election. This work is the destruction of the reprobates. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 10, you'll find out that it is described as the consumption overflowing in righteousness and that consumption decreed. It's God's decree to destroy the non-elect Israel. He did it by the Assyrians. It was God's decree to destroy the non-elect Jews of Judah through the Babylonians. The consumption overflowed them until, as we had read to us from Hosea 1, was the land left desolate. When a land is desolate and there's nobody left, have all the people been consumed? That's what the word, if you compare the two passages, here it's called the work and a short work in righteousness. There it's called the decree of consumption because it is the destruction of those Jews that God had rejected. So here is the Jews in Paul's audience being hammered with their own scriptures. Hosea 2 and 1, and then Isaiah 10, and then Isaiah 1 is in verse 29. And as Isaiah said before, do you love every word of God? What's the word before there for? Because chapter 1 comes before chapter 10. Is that deep? The quotation in verses 27 and 28 are from Isaiah 10. The quotation in verse 29 is from Isaiah 1. And as Isaiah said before, that is, before the quotation I used in verses 27 and 28, and if you're wondering why I get amused at things like this, I just love every word of God. And when they're easy like this, I do celebrate. And when they're harder like earlier... I beg. But I love the Lord nonetheless. And if I don't figure it out, I'm going to soon when I'm with Him. But keep praying for me. Keep praying with me. And shed a tear from time to time that we won't misdivide a single verse. I may leave some for a while undone, but I don't want to ever misdivide one. And, as Isaiah said before, Isaiah 1, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodoma and been made like unto Gomorrah. If you go to Isaiah 1, it is God promising through Isaiah the prophet destruction upon Israel and Judah. The destruction is promised there as well. And yet, in the ninth verse, he says, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a very small remnant. We had been made like unto Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, when they come into Greek and then English, we get the A on the end of Sodom. Sodoma. Sodoma. But that isn't important. What's important is that there was a rejection in Isaiah 1, and yet there was going to be a seed saved. Did you hear David read to you in your hearing this morning, Isaiah 6, in which Isaiah the prophet, this very man that we're referring to right now, saw a vision of the great God, and it certainly moved him, and it should have moved all of you as well, and I'm thankful it moved my son a little bit, and it moves me every time I go to this chapter, but it moved Isaiah to answer the Lord's inquiry, whom shall we send, and who will go for us? Here am I, send me. Then the Lord told him what kind of a ministry he was going to have. No one was going to believe him. And he said, how long do I have to preach, and how long will other men preach and not have it believed? Till I lay the whole place waste and desolate, and there be a great forsaking in the land. But, yet, I really like it when the Lord sticks too disjunctives together but yet in it 
shall be, in this place he calls it not a remnant, not a seed, not a very small seed. He calls it, well, he calls it a seed, but he calls it a, how much? A tenth. And it's the substance. He calls it a tenth. What is the real substance of Israel? The tenth. So the real Israel is the substance, the tenth. There's this great big Israel of the nation, 90% of which in this particular case, under this symbology of Isaiah 6, is thrown away. It's like when you look at a massive oak tree in the summer, you can, its shade covers hundreds of square feet. Hundreds of square feet. Maybe thousands if it's a big enough oak tree. But in the winter, all the leaves come off and it looks dead. But what is still inside that tree? Even though it's shrunk way down and the neighbors that you didn't have to look at and that couldn't see you grilling on your deck because of that giant oak tree can now look straight through it and see you because it looks dead and it's so much smaller. But in it is the life and the seed of the nation. And it's going to come back and it's going to be called See How Many Thousands Brethren Believe of the Jews. That's Isaiah. You had it read to you. Verse 29, And as Isaiah said before, Except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. When you go back to Isaiah 1.9, it's a very small remnant. It's not just a remnant, and it's not just a small remnant. It's a very small remnant. Is there comfort in that for you this morning? Amen. Is, there, is there matter worthy of praise in that for us? Yes. If Israel was compared to Sodom and Gomorrah, what about America in 2012? And the Lord has himself a very small seed as the leaves fall off this nation and show a dead tree. Guess what? We, unknown to them, are the substance of the people of God along with other congregations like us in this nation. Let's be thankful to the God of heaven for his electing grace. I hope that you will not be tired by this passage. I hope that you will not get bored by it. I hope that... If I chase some rabbits showing you some of the difficulties in interpretation because we have to go against others, that you'll understand them and appreciate them and have the lessons of true Bible hermeneutics reinforced in your mind. But what we have is they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, illustrated by the patriarch's families, proven theologically, then proven from the scriptures of the Jews themselves by two quotations from Hosea and two from Isaiah, that if the Lord hadn't left them a remnant, a sea, a very small remnant that had been like Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord has the right to say they are not my people. And then a hundred years, 200 years, 500 years later to say, you're my people. And he calls them out again because he's in the business of, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And whom he will, he hardeneth. And so Paul proves it from their own scriptures. What should we do? Fall on our faces before the Almighty God who was, who is, and who is to come, and His Son Jesus Christ and the seven spirits of God that are before His throne, and praise Him and give Him all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen.